0: Hey everyone, this is Roman Prokopchuk and this is the Digital Savage Experience Podcast. Today I have with me Ryan McDonald. He's an award-winning online advertiser, keynote speaker, and owner at Shade Digital, an online advertising agency designed for the needs of small business owners. Thank you for joining me today. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's good to be here. Not a problem. So tell me a little bit about your journey. How did you get to the 2019 U? (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, quite a long journey actually. So directly out of uh, high school, uh, I'm so I'm 30 now to, to give you a little bit of reference. Uh, directly out of high school, I actually started playing online poker professionally. I had some some big fascination with the mathematics behind poker, and um, got to know quite a few of the big players in the online space. And eventually got good enough to where I was making, you know. A, decent chunk more than my parents were, you know, at age 19 from playing online poker. Uh, And so that went on until age 23, um, when on April 15th, 2011, the Department of Justice shut down three largest online poker sites. Uh, They seized uh, everyone's money. If you had money on those sites, they just took it. Um, And so that they sort of collapsed the industry uh, during, you know, the worst recession since the Great Depression. Um, and so that really put me and, and a lot of the people in my circle in a uh, pinch, so to speak. Uh, some of my friends moved overseas to keep playing. I considered that, but on the advice of family, I just decided I'm you know, i young enough and I pivoted. So I went back to school and uh, got a degree in uh, business management with an emphasis in marketing. And the whole time, because I was, you know, a, 23 year old adult, uh, I started working immediately. So I immediately got an internship and then I immediately, uh, got a job that will actually pay the bills because the internship wasn't enough. So full-time students, uh, internship for my career, uh, and then a job, which was uh, North Dakota grain inspection. I, I was an inspector of grain. Um, and, uh, yeah, so that's kind of how I got my foot in the door, if you will you know, started at the bottom. And uh, over the last six years, I've just gotten progressively more experience, more experience to where at one point I was managing a team of seven and a $2.5 million a year advertising budget, all online, of course. And eventually I decided to strike out on my own. And that kind of puts us, not quite at 2019, but I guess it puts us about a year and a half
0: ago when I I first started Shade Digital. No, that's awesome. I have a not necessarily the the poker background but when the economy tanked i graduated um college 07 08 with a degree in criminal justice and then i had to pivot and self-teach myself digital marketing then got an opportunity to get in the field and have been doing it ever since including starting my own agency so it's that's kind of funny
1: yeah it's similar and you know you talk to other people that are along the same path uh one of my one of the guys that I know he, uh, he owns a business called Ad Shark Marketing. Uh, he was a, uh, he went to be a pilot in college, never completed it, but he racked up a ton of debt because uh, pilot school is not cheap, apparently. Uh, and then the other guy, his business partner, is an electrical engineer who decided upon graduation that he didn't even really like it and kind of self-taught himself SEO um and so there's a lot of people in this space that don't have like formal degrees or or formal training in in marketing but um are doing good work anyways that's kind of the beauty of this industry is um there's so much resources out there and the ability to just execute on your own that a lot of people can be self-taught if they have motivation
0: yeah and it it comes down like you said the the motivation and on an individual basis wanting to do something so If you want to learn something, you're able to do so with all the information out there. I actually started with SEO as well, taught it to myself, then managed several, you know, seven, eight figure portfolios, teams and stuff like that. But with digital marketing, the good thing is it's it's testing and it's results. So regardless of what you read, it's either you're a, a practitioner or a generalist, in my opinion.
1: Correct, and uh, I was telling someone this the other day, I said, there's so many different areas in digital marketing uh, and it changes so, com- like so rapidly that it's very difficult to be um, a good generalist at all areas of digital marketing, which is why my career has sort of been hyper-focused on the online advertising aspect rather than the SEO. You know, I've done some SEO stuff in, in my career, um, but I don't consider myself a SEO specialist by uh, by any means definitely not on, on par with with some of the people that I know
0: yeah I think in digital marketing it's important to have a, a core pillar of expertise so whatever that being whether you what you've gotten into industry with or what you've pivoted to and made it as you know your expertise and then everything else be proficient in and know-how like the ecosystem connects
1: exactly no I 100 percent agree with that. Uh, and the funny thing is, is uh, online poker, the skill set from online poker uh, translated really well into online advertising uh, because it's all it's all data. Um, so with online poker, you have something called like Hold'em Manager, which gives you a bunch of different stats on how you play, how other people play, and you can kind of dissect um, someone's style or, uh, you know, dissect your own style and play. It's a very similar program to something like Google Analytics. Um and you know all the data of let's say a uh, uh, AdWords or a Google Ads account or a Bing Ads account or a you know, Facebook Ads account, you get that data and then you can kind of optimize the program. at Very similar to how one would approach um, maybe playing playing online poker. Granted, there are some differences, but that skill set and that mindset transition surprisingly well uh, to online advertising. So.
0: Yeah. Poker in that sense, online or live is very analytical, but like you said, online, you have additional tools you can kind of layer over and play back the, you know, different sessions and understand how many hands were folded, raised all in, like you said, in terms of an analytics perspective. So it matches up well.
1: Yeah. Surprisingly well. And uh, I'm not even
0: the only poker player I know who transitioned into digital
1: marketing. Um, so it's kind of funny. I wasn't the only person in my friend group who found their way into this uh, industry.
0: No, that's pretty cool. Um, I thought I could play poker at one point, mainly live, but um, that dream was uh, short-lived.
1: <laughs> yeah, dude, it's a, uh, I mean, the variance is
0: crazy. Um, you
1: know, if you take a look at, let's say, you know, you have a 60-40% chance to win and you run it, let's just say a million times. There's going to be stretches in there where you lose getting your money in as a favorite over and over and over again. Um, So variance in the game of poker uh, can be extremely difficult and even more so playing live because the sample size is so much smaller. You know, playing live poker, you get maybe 25 hands in an hour if you're lucky. uh, Whereas playing online, it's not uncommon to get a thousand hands in an hour. So you are able to kind of like uh, smooth out the variance Um, faster. That's what appealed to me on the online aspect.
0: Yeah, I mean, I just tended to play uh, like on uh, Friday nights, Saturday uh, mornings, where people would come in and tables usually, try to get tables when people were like super drunk, so (laughs) I had that little uh, variable on my side, but like you said, the variance, so the, the drunk people would push in with anything or just make dumb moves and then they would hit because they're not making the mathematical you know, right decision so it yep. would be all over the place
1: oh yeah you can lose a surprisingly amount of uh, surprising amount of eighty twenties in a row <laughs> so yeah and uh so got into um online advertising kind of worked my way up um i was an intern at a two billion dollar a year company uh and back then this was oh 2012 They still called their e-commerce department the, quote, catalog department, (laughs) if that puts it, if that says the importance of e-commerce to that company. They're a uh, $2 billion a year company, got some good experience there, eventually got hired over into uh, an agency uh, where I was the first employee. And that was, by the way, invaluable experience, being the first employee at an advertising agency. Not the most stable job in the world and definitely not the most high-paying job in But in terms of wearing lots of hats, um, in terms of learning basically how to run an agency um, and learning the trade, uh, it was invaluable uh, to my to my growth. So, yeah. And then from there, I went on to a large e-commerce company. And um, after that was over, I decided to start Shade Digital, you know, and part of the reason that that I got started in shade digital is when I was, uh, looking for jobs, you know, I got three job offers. Uh, they all came in about one within a one week time frame and they're all, you know, in the 110,000 to $135,000 a year, uh, job offers, uh, which is pretty decent at a, at a young age. Um, you know, I was 26 or something like that. 27. I don't know. Um, but I decided that, uh, I was like, man, you know, what would be great is if instead of helping one of these businesses, I could help all three and kind of like be my own boss where I'm not reliant on someone else. Um, where I'm not reliant on one client. That's kind of how I viewed being an employee is it's still a client agency relationship, but you only have one client, uh, is kind of how I viewed it. So. I was like, well, what if I can, what if I can help a bunch of small businesses? Cause these weren't, these weren't giant companies, but they're, they're pretty well sized, you know, uh, over the million dollar a year revenue mark for sure. Right. With that kind of pay package. And so, yeah, that kind of got me thinking like how many of these small businesses are out there that just don't have access to digital marketing talent because it costs so much. You know, if you could have, instead of paying someone, you know, $100,000 a year, $120,000 a year. What if you just paid them twenty-five hundred dollars a month, but you stretch that over 10 clients, something like that. So not only would I make more, but these companies would have access to talent they otherwise wouldn't have. And that was sort of my kind of light bulb moment where I got to figure out how to make this the most appealing possible to small businesses. because that's really who I like serving. After w- working in really large companies and like startup companies,
0: um, the small businesses are by far the best to work with. So what was kind of the hardest thing making this, the decision to go off on your own? Was there kind of like a fear or what did you have to get past or what was the point where you decided, I can do this for myself?
1: Definitely fear, fear is, uh, but you know, as someone who is so comfortable with my you know online poker kind of background, risk management, I've always been far more risk tolerant than most people. Yeah, so fear is definitely a part of it. You know, I moved down, one of the, the jobs I took, the company got bought out and they got merged with, um, with another company. Well, they wanted me to manage both companies uh, online advertising departments. So they brought me from Fargo, North Dakota, uh, where I was living, uh, down to Florida. And so that was great because, you know, it was a good pay package and it was a really fun position. Uh, but I was far away from, from my family. Um, and so I was down in Florida and I was like, man, if this doesn't work out, am I going back to, to North Dakota? And I thought, well, no, I'll just get another stupid job. is kind of what I thought. I thought, well, worst case scenario, if this doesn't work out, I'll just find another job. And so that, sort of, that thought sort of uh, steeled my resolve to jump in with both feet. And uh, I was able to sign one client right away. That was enough to pay my bills and pay a little bit for like software expenses, you know, things of that, that nature.
0: And you end up moving back?
1: No, no, I'm still in Florida, thank God. So I actually married, when I moved down, my neighbor, so I didn't know anyone besides the people I worked with. Uh, I went to a block party maybe two weeks into uh, being in Florida. My community had like a block party where there's pizza and, you know, beer, etc and I actually met my future wife there. And so I got married last September, almost a a year married now, um, and we're gonna be
0: staying in Florida. Nice, I'm in um, New Jersey right now, but I'm thinking about actually going either to Florida or Texas based on the no uh, state income tax. Yes. Yeah. So
1: yeah, not only did I get better weather, but I got lower taxes and a wife too. I mean, I felt like it's a win-win there. There's a lot of people, by the way, in Florida who are from the like New Jersey, New York area, especially on the East Coast. If you go like West Palm Beach down to Miami, like a surprising number of those people on that, that part of the coast uh, are from the New York, New Jersey area. It's not uncommon to hear that, that thick, accent that thick New Yorker accent you know
0: yeah I think there's a continuous exodus from this area based on cost of living and what you can get down there and a lot of them are transplants so they either have something that's remote they have their own business or they have something where they're getting paid uh, you know Northeast salaries or what-have-you and then having to live in a lower cost of um, goods and living expenses in terms of Florida
1: oh yeah I mean so I want to say like the average the average house in my area is like 250000 or 300000 That's like a couple miles from the beach uh, with a yard, um, you know, three bed, three bath-ish. Uh, and it might not be baller at that price, right? Because it's the average. But in you, if you compare like what you get in New York City or something like that to what you get where I'm at, which is like 30 minutes north of West Palm Beach... I mean, you get so much more. So, plus no yeah. state income tax.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. I was looking at uh, com- comparable prices of what my house here is. And like, I can get a brand new build, like two more bedrooms, one more bathroom, and like a thousand more square feet for the same thing that I paid for here. Yep. I believe that 100%.
1: 100%. Cost of living wasn't a big change for me, you know, coming from North Dakota. But yeah, it's it's certainly not bad in Florida, and I feel like this is a well-run state to do business. in. Um, Texas is good too. I actually looked at at moving into to Austin, Texas, at one point, but obviously since I met my wife here, I'm I'm glad I chose Florida.
0: Yeah, it's a good uh, a trade-off: warm weather, and you've got a wife. So,
1: <laughs> yep, yep, yeah. So, and by the way, I you you've got a relatively interesting story yourself, coming from you know, what is a communist country and coming over to the United States, that must've been a culture shock for your family, huh?
0: Yeah. Well, when it was still communist, so you basically, you needed a sponsor to obviously legally come here to basically vouch for you and take responsibility financially and otherwise. I think that's still what happens with most countries nowadays too. Either somebody that's willing to do that, usually a, a family member close or distant or some kind of close friend, So when we were leaving, it was still communist. So we had to go through Vienna, Austria, Rome, Italy. But when you're leaving, you basically denounced your citizenship and just took what you can carry. So any money, obviously, in bank accounts and things like that, you had to leave. So property, uh, furniture, anything you couldn't carry, you had to leave. I got here, I was uh, five. So I had to go. I I went right into kindergarten. I, I had to go to English second language. So I... My, my mom and my wife sometimes think I have a slight accent, but it's fairly not noticeable at this point because I learned English so young. Yeah, I'd say it's not noticeable. Yeah, but it was like a defining thing because there's a lot of immigrants like founding, you know, unicorn companies, companies that are multi-billion dollar companies. And I think that journey or that kind of um, struggle, if you will, molds you for uh, greater things.
1: No, I, I 100% agree. And uh, my wife, actually, her family came from uh, India. And so um, her father is a first generation uh, immigrant, obviously, a little bit different coming from a communist country than, than coming from India, but different challenges as well. Um, but he sort of lived the American dream himself, you know, studied, worked really hard, um, went, got into med school, became a doctor, uh, worked in the field for a while, started his own practice, uh, and so I feel like he's really someone like his story is really the encapsulation of the American dream, where if you come to this country and you work hard, uh, you have a chance for success. And so I, I like hearing stories like yours and like um, like my father-in-law's because it just it, it reaffirms that you know the American dream is still alive.
0: Yeah, and I mean, even though people complain about the state of the country and you know, some injustices in the country that are going on, it's still the most uh, flexible or, like you know, free country in terms of pursuing your dream or what you want to do. I mean, you can come here and learn anything, and if you focus on it, like you said, devote the uh, the time and the hard work, you can reach whatever you want to reach. Whereas if I was still In Ukraine, I may have been called up to the military to fight in eastern Ukraine against whatever Russian insurgents or whatnot.
1: Oh, yeah. Whatever's going on over there.
0: Yeah. And I mean, it is it's a great country if you ever um, looked into it in terms of uh, tech and a lot of tech companies being founded there. And by Ukrainian born, um, you know, either nationals or people that immigrated here. And there's a lot of great engineering talent, but it's like, you know, the market is great, but like the environment could be so much better if it, like, if it was fostered in the United States.
1: Right. I feel like uh, a country like Ukraine still has some ghosts of the Soviet past that it has to get over. Um, when I hear about Ukraine specifically, I, I hear about corruption, corruption at, at potentially all, all levels of government. And something like that just stifles the entrepreneurial spirit based on what I've read.
0: Yeah. Super corrupt. Like every, every part of the government, I mean, you get pulled over, you just pay somebody off or whatever you, you know, you suing you, you pay the judge, like everybody, you can basically bribe maybe 90% of elected officials in the country.
1: Yeah. And that sort of environment, you know, ben- bending of the rule of law to, you know, people who are the established moneyed interests. I mean, that's a difficult thing being a startup anyhow, but when you have to compete against moneyed interests, who can buy police, buy judges, you know, sue you and, and pay off the judge. It's just so hard to foster that, that small business and entrepreneurial community that it makes you know, reestablishing the rule of law, in my opinion, maybe one of the best things some, a country like Ukraine could do uh, in terms of fostering a, a positive business environment.
0: Yeah. Plus, if you're a business or a startup, you can be pushed out of business by a competitor that pays an official that comes and you know, cracks down on you about some bogus, you know, code enforcement or something, a document you may have not filed. And I mean, it's you you don't you don't know what's going to happen. Obviously, it's not a free, you know, unbiased system where you can uh, compete with each other without like fear of any uh, -er reperacity from uh, the government or any other entity.
1: Another reminder that not every country is like the United States. In fact, the, the vast majority of countries out there are, in, in my opinion, a, a much worse place to be than the United States. For all of for all
0: of America's problems, um, it's still a great place to be. Otherwise, people would not want to come here. I mean, that's I mean, people try to come here illegally. There's people not aren't trying to come into countries. Let's say like Nicaragua illegally. You know, they're <laughs> exactly. flocking out of it, so you have to be doing something right or have some kind of value proposition to why everyone is coming, regardless legal or illegal.
1: Yeah, right. No one. There's not too many Americans trying to sneak into the Nicaraguan border. Uh, it seems to be a one-way flow, which
0: is, is, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of places like that in the world. So um, what motivates you to succeed on a personal level?
1: Yeah, on a personal level. Um, so here's an example. And this literally just happened like five minutes before before I hopped on. Uh, I was sending a client, uh, you know, report from their Google Ads account for the month. And um, they're a tour company, they, they sell, well, a cruise company. They sell cruises uh, here in Florida, and they're typically day cruises. And so he has a big one coming for the 4th of July, and it's his highest-priced cruise ever. Um, and it's been a big push to try to sell this out. And I found out just this morning, uh, or sorry, just five minutes ago, that we got his cruise for 4th of July sold out, which is you know probably his single most profitable cruise he's ever had. And so it's wins like that that get me excited. Um, another client who con- consequently also has a tour company in Austin, Texas. You know, I, I've done some SEO for her and there was a lot of low-hanging SEO fruit, so I, I don't mean to, to step on any sort of SEO toes out there, but uh, even someone like me was able to help them out quite a bit from that. They're now getting like 4x the revenue uh, that they were when they first hired us. I mean, they've been with us for a year and three months, so 4x the revenue uh, for the business, almost primarily based on on Google organic traffic. Of course, our ads play a part there too, but it's wins like that. It's wins like that for a small business owner where I can I can personally see them go from. You know, let's just say twenty thousand dollars a month in revenue, or forty thousand dollars a month in revenue, to get them up to eighty thousand dollars a month in revenue, hundred thousand dollars a month in revenue. It's those kind of wins because I actually have a relationship with the owner of the business that make me the most excited to do what I do. Obviously, you know, there's a there's an independence factor in being my own boss, and that's very high on my my list of priorities uh, is a feeling of independence, but what it boils down to is, is what does the customer get? And you know, what is that feeling when I can help the customer out? Uh, and that's the best feeling in the world. So yeah, I mean, I'm always of the opinion of if you add enough value uh, for your clients, that'll kind of take care of your own income anyways, uh, or your business's income anyways. Um, so if you're doing right by your client, you're going to do right by your own business in a, in a B2B service-based business capacity at, at least. And so it's, it's hearing those kind of wins and seeing those kind of wins in their accounts, in their Google Analytics, in, you know, in their reporting. Um, that makes me super excited. I'm going to throw one more for you because this, this is kind of a big case study I, I've put together um, for it. But an insurance company hired me uh, and these guys were my biggest client uh, for the longest time. Uh, now they're like tied essentially. But so these guys hired me to, uh, build a lead generation program for them. They are an insurance agency. They specifically focus on health insurance. So open enrollment is kind of the biggest time of the year for them. And they had never generated their own leads before, at least reliably. Um, they've always bought leads. So they, they would buy leads from lead providers and then their sales team would sell them. So I created the landing pages. I did like a dynamic phone number swap so we can track like phone calls. Um, I created a ton of different landing landing page variations based on like search query. So if someone searches Obamacare, you don't want the landing page to say Trump Care. Or if someone searches Trump Care, you don't want the landing page to say Obamacare because people search both for health insurance. Um, and so you want to kind of match whatever intent and whatever they're searching to to the landing page. We got a 35% uh, conversion rate on those landing pages, so click lead, uh, which is awesome. And beyond that, they sold far more policies in that 90 days than they ever have in their life. Um, and so they went to being the number five or six uh, biggest seller in the state of Florida for Blue Cross Blue Shield Health Insurance to number one. Uh, and they've stayed there for the last two years. And so I'm super pumped about that. We ended up generating, going from zero leads a day to over 3,000 leads a day in under 90 days. It was an insanely fast ramp up um, where they went from you know $10,000 test budget to $1.5 million in a month for spend uh, because they just, you know, a short window of opportunity and they saw the results and they liked them. And so they really put the foot on the gas. Um, and so it's something like that, where now I see the owner, the owners, like, you know, one of them just bought, I wouldn't quite call it a yacht, but it's pretty close to a yacht. Uh, things like that, where when you have a relationship with these people, um, it's really kind of cool to see, to be honest with you. Um, so yeah, that's that's what motivates me. That's, I know that's a long-winded answer and three examples, but uh, it's the success of the clients because I have that relationship with them that is... Uh, that is fun.
0: Yeah, I think that relationship is important because I've been um, in director roles in a lot of agencies and have been on the um, in-house and agency side and different like plethora of director roles. And a lot of the roles were kind of cookie cutter, so there's no personal relationship. The account gets assigned to an account manager or an account director that has no necessarily vested interest in the success or failure, other than keeping their, their job. And uh, they have so many clients in that portfolio that they don't necessarily do the due diligence, whether it be uh, SEO, social, you know, paid search, paid social, whatever the, uh, the effort was. So I think having that personal relationship and really seeing that business thrive through your efforts, it kind of, um, you know, it gives added satisfaction to the whole uh, process.
1: Exactly. Uh, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. And, uh, yeah, you know, managing the business aspects are kind of like my, like my business aspects are kind of like my least favorite part of the job, like doing accounting and uh, making sure you pay taxes on time and, oh, you know, all, all the sort of things for actually my business. I personally like getting my hands dirty in the accounts, actually doing the advertising myself. Um, that's really where I find, find my passion is, this side, you know, managing the the day to day of my own businesses, it, it takes a backseat in my priorities. And yeah, you got to have a relationship with the client when you're when you're in on that account. So and I, and there's got to be a high level of trust too to say, okay, yeah, go ahead and spend one point five million dollars this month. You don't say that to someone you don't trust. And so that's a that's a good sign as well.
0: Yeah, and I think it's like having a vested interest in the success of that business. So you're basically like a um, entity or part of that business, a uh, extension of that business, and want to see it succeed.
1: Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. I I feel like a lot of uh, you know all these all my clients uh, for the most part have my cell phone number. You know, I don't you don't just give out your cell phone number to anyone. And so there's a certain level of respect there to where you know they don't blow me up all the time to talk about nonsense um, but at the same time they know that if they ever do truly need anything I'm one phone call away from immediately getting a hold of yeah it's kind of that's the that's the funnest aspect for me what about for you what do you what do you really enjoy about, about this kind of this line of work
0: helping companies in terms of getting them to the next level and then trying and testing things out where you have a strategy that you know no one is actually doing and you test it And it's something that you came up with that no one else did and it's successful that like added satisfaction that you you made something or kind of invented a process that delivers value Yep. and uh, I think just the the gratification of you know a client getting a lead that's let's say a ten million dollar lead if it's a a law firm or something where it's a high ticket uh, value add or even if it's a you know e-commerce site for product sales Regardless of what the goal is, delivering it or even exceeding it. So I think exceeding the the expectation of the client is uh, gratifying as well.
1: A hundred percent. I love paying for myself uh, through my, you know, through the advertising programs, through our efforts. You know, if I do my job right, there's going to be a, a large multiple on the ROI of, of what you know I at Shea Digital gets paid uh, for what I bring to the business. So yeah, it's it's fun stuff. And, the, and taking it, you know, to your, to your point, you take something that's just an idea in your head and you kind of like think about it, you sketch it out, you execute on it and it goes according to plan, better than, than what you planned, etc. That's a great feeling. It's like, wow, you know, from just clicking these buttons on a screen, these digital buttons on a screen, I was able to create value for a real business that employs real Americans that you know adds real value to the economy and that's exciting.
0: Yeah, but in, in terms of digital, your your work basically speaks for itself. So it's your body of work and reflection of who you are. So that's going to sell itself in the long run. Yep, yep, 100%. So what's one thing you may have struggled with in the past that you've taken and made a strength and now utilized to your advantage? Hmm. Yeah, so Man alive!
1: It's so, the one that gets everybody. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. So one thing that uh, I'll, I'll tell you from from a, my business perspective, I guess one thing that I'm I'm proud of in terms of like managing my own business that was a weakness, 100 a weakness. I'm sure you can relate as well. So this doesn't have as much relevance for maybe any any clients or non-agency people out there or non B2B people out there, but. What I found so shocking when I started Shea Digital um, was that so many businesses are used to getting an invoice and paying 30 days later, 45 days later, 60 days later, 90 days later. There's so many people out there that are just used to getting an invoice and, you know, we'll pay it whenever we pay it. And at a certain point, you know, I pay my bills on time. I have overhead to, to worry about. Uh, and at a certain point, this was absolutely constraining my business in that like 80% of the previous month's revenue, I'm still waiting to get paid on. And it's like, Jesus. And so, you know, one of the things that I'm proud of is I moved almost all of my clients off of invoicing and to automatic bill pay. You know, I set up a Stripe dashboard um, and it kind of, you know, whatever the client's bill is, Kind of enter it in to uh, this payments, and then a boom, it it builds them every 30 days on that same day for that same amount. Uh, because almost all my clients are retainers, I, I do get projects here and there, but the vast majority are are retainer based or or monthly, and so that has real you know reduced a lot of stress on my end when it comes to uh, managing cash flow. Uh, And I gave my customers a discount for signing up for online bill pay. So it actually lowered what they pay. Um, It lowered my monthly revenue, to be honest with you. But getting paid on time is is more important than, you know, an extra $500 a month, something like that. Um, So the client wins by paying less. And uh, I win by actually (laughs) managing cash flow so much better. So that was something that definitely was a weakness that, I was able to turn into, um, a strength. I feel like now we had, you know, we have no cash flow issues whatsoever in terms of like, you know, a client waiting 30, 45, 90 days to pay. Um, and I feel like that's unique among agencies. I feel like that's one of the biggest complaints I hear when I talk to other agency owners is, you know, they have this big invoice out and they're kind of, you know, they have an idea of what they want to do, but they're kind of waiting on to get that, that payday. Uh, to be able to deploy that capital uh, and it slows them down. Um, so I, I don't, have you struggled with that at all? the, the invoicing cycle? Yeah, and
0: I think uh, automating it is like one big thing so you can scale or forecast better in terms of um, assets or you know the amount of projects you can bring on. But I think it's it's been an issue everywhere because where, where I've been in the past, where there's people that haven't paid for x amount of months and they're still clients because they they pay or when they were paying they paid a, a high amount. So there's this like set of accounts currently always in limbo that you can't for one uh, one reason or another get them to pay and if you can automate that that um, like you said that you know a few hundred dollars a client a month is worth knowing what you will be getting automatically instead of chasing these people for invo- with the invoices.
1: Yep. And it and it saves time on like creating these invoices. It saves time on like tracking and reminders and you know all of that stressful stuff. I I always would say the worst part about my job is being a bill collector. Calling up someone and saying, "Hey, so you're 30 days late. Uh, just a reminder, pay your invoice." And that's the absolute worst part of the job. Um, and so I was able to kind of take that that away. And like I said, the automation aspect of, um, you know, I just get a notification like, you know, Bing, you know, X's account has been charged has really relieved, relieved a lot of stress. So, yep.
0: Yeah, I think whatever you can automate in your business, it um, adds huge value. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that 100%. So what's one thing you can leave with the audience in terms of advice, either professional or personal?
1: Um, yeah. Okay. So on, a, on a, I'll give a, a, a couple here. So on a personal basis, um, I always find that I, and I found this for other people too, but Work out, be active. Um, and I know it's difficult for some people, but just a little bit of exercise. And it doesn't have to be every day. Uh, it doesn't have to be every other day even. Maybe two days a week, three days a week. Um, something like that. The cognitive benefit. So, you know, I'm married. I What do I need to, you know, work out for? <laughs> I mean, really, uh, when it comes to like, you know, I'm not going to the club. What I work out for is... It, I, I get something cognitively. Like my brain just functions better when I'm exerting energy on a regular basis because otherwise I, leave, I lead a very uh, sedative lifestyle. You know, I sit down for work. You know, when I'm at home, I sit down. I go from work and to home in my car sitting down. I sleep for eight hours a day or, you know, I'd love it to be eight hours a day. But anyways, so I find that cognitively, things click for me better uh as a business owner as an advertiser working out so on a personal level i would say someone if you're feeling like in a slump or you're feeling like you're low energy or or mentally things aren't clicking i'd say go to the gym or it doesn't even have to be a gym go for a walk or a little jog or something do something uh and you'll feel better those your body will start performing at a higher level in my opinion not just your body your mind Uh, on the second front uh especially, I would say too many people are underestimating the value of YouTube ads. That has been my biggest takeaway um, since YouTube has uh, released what's called a true view for action. In my opinion, YouTube ads are the single best video advertising channel anywhere there ever has been in history. It's just from the targeting to the reporting to the direct response nature of that ad format uh, has made YouTube ads a crazy good value, just on so many different levels. And even over YouTube ads, like two and a half, three years ago, it's so much better uh, for direct response advertising. I mean, it's always been been relatively good for uh, branding, but uh, so yeah, if I was to give someone some advice professionally just generic advice i'd say put together a a solid video um you know put together a solid landing page and look we'll at doing some youtube ads because there's a lot you can do with a solid piece of creative a good landing page and youtube ads there's a lot that can be done for your business on that no almost no matter what industry you're in so yeah that professionally i feel like that's where people Completely undervalue the advertising market.
0: No, I agree. I think on both fronts, the exercise front, and it, uh, it gives mental clarity. Yep. Um, I um, I've been kind of lifting since I was 18 continuously, but me and my wife are foster parents, and we had a um, long term placement, uh, basically a year. The boys left about a, a month ago, and we're we reunified. Uh, there were two brothers with their uh, mom and at the beginning of it we were told we were were going to be able to adopt them Mm. so that was a kind of a a heavy emotional toll so like i could have coped with it in a negative manner maybe like alcohol or something like you know destructive i guess but i just bought a a road bike and then just rode and rode so like i did like 200 miles of cardio last month because of that Nice. So I think it's one of those things where it's um, on top of like my weightlifting and other exercise and sports. It just, it adds clarity. Like you said, like you can like really think hard about if it's something like work or analytical, or if it's something like just process your thoughts and deal or cope with something, a loss or, you know, something that may have happened in your life. And I think with the uh, underutilization of uh, YouTube, um, as a platform for video ads, I think the um, the value is still in terms of pricing, still fairly reasonable.
1: And uh, I, I, I think, would say it's way
0: undervalued. Yeah, it's still underpriced because oh, right. yeah, there's you know platforms that over time, if you get in early, you can you know make a killing, and then when you know there's a lot more demand, it gets more expensive. Yep. So I think YouTube, like you said, and anything in terms of you're doing either video or audio, are just going to continue to. Uh, rise in terms of uh, formats
1: yeah agree and um, so something like LinkedIn which is
0: historically a very expensive
1: advertising platform um, they always have the issue of supply Uh, it's so expensive because there's a lack of supply um, as compared to the demand for for the ad you know in terms of like daily user base etc with YouTube you got a giant user base and you have I forget the number but it's like over a million videos uploaded every single day. It might even be 10 million. I I, I forget the number offhand, but there is so much supply out there where that's going to keep prices low for a while until a lot, you know, I, I don't see YouTube ads getting excessively priced, um, for at least a couple of years. And they're going to have to start demonetizing a ton more video categories. Ah, uh, to restrict that supply enough to to lift those average cost per views and those average cost per clicks to a level that I would view is is quote fairly priced or fairly priced. No. I obviously fair is is whatever the market's willing to pay, but right now it's it's super undervalued. Like you're saying, and that abundance of supply in the marketplace is going to keep it undervalued for a while. I agree. There's a first mover advantage right now to youtube advertising that businesses would be smart to take advantage of
0: yep i agree so i really appreciate you stopping by today can you let the audience know how they can find you
1: yeah so uh shadedigital.com is probably the best way to find me you can book a strategy meeting a one-on-one meeting with me uh through that website like i said we provide online advertising solutions for small businesses which revolves around the actual online advertising management, the reporting, the graphic design for the at, like the creative piece, um, and also landing pages. So a lot of businesses don't have the greatest looking websites. That's okay. We will build you a landing page that we will send the traffic. And so, yeah, that is the best place to find me shade And yeah, you can book a meeting with me right there and we'll talk about advertising for your business or, or what makes sense for it. So,
0: Awesome. Thanks again for stopping by.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. It's been
0: fun. This podcast has been brought to you by Nova Zora Digital. Find out how Nova Zora Digital can help your company grow online. Learn more at NovaZoraDigital.com. Until next time, all you digital savages.